This is HPR episode 2797 entitled, Writing Web Game in Haskell, Simulation at High Level. It is hosted by Tuku Toroto, and is about 26 minutes long, and carries a clean flag. The summary is, Tutorto gives overview of simulation in F4X game. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Public Radio and I'm Tuuk Turta. Today I'm going to talk about uh, writing a web game in Haskell and especially the simulation at the high level. So far we have been concentrating on separate pieces, so now it's time to pull those pieces together and have something more more concrete going on. So when I was thinking how to build the game and thinking all kinds of different simulations, I in the end of the, to the system, the simulation is done in steps, and they are taking uh, every step is one month more or less, one Earth month more or less. The time is in decimal system, so for example, current time now would be 2019,3, and that's stored in the data, database as a uh, 20,193 because integers are much much more nicer than floats when you are adding continuously to them. With floats, you at some point start to start to get rounding errors and all kinds of surprises. So uh, in the end, I want that the turn resolution happens every 24 hours real time automatically but that that part I haven't been I haven't yet figured out how to do so currently I'm just triggering it manually. So there's some there's, there's an interface where I press a button and at that point the, this process that I'm going to describe next starts and it simulates what happens during one decimal month in the game world. So main processing is it's, well, this has a couple parts that I haven't gone through, through those yet. I probably will explain those later. And I'm not going to read out, out the type signature of the function. It's rather long. But it's in the show notes if you are interested on, on seeing it. Idea, idea is that it's a function that has access to the database. It can both read and write there. And it returns a time in the end. It tells what's the time in the universe after the processing has, has been done. And I found it kind of interesting that in Persistent, the, the, the library that I'm using for the database access, you have very granular control over what kind of things your functions can do. So if you have uh, some 
process that you know that it only reads from the database, you can tell that in the type signatures that this, this function only does reading. And if somebody tries to add at some point in the future in that function or in any function that it calls, it could be a very complicated process that takes really long to run and it has many parts and multiple reads. If somebody were to uh, add something there that tries to write into the database, you would got you would got a, a compilation error. So you have to tell in persistent if if the function or any function that it calls has read or write access or both into database. Okay, so the main idea is that there's a this process turn function that takes no parameters. And it's a... Well, I'm re reading, reading it out a little bit. So it starts like process turn equals do. So it's a monadic code. And the new time, arrow to the left, advanced time. Here we are calling advanced time function that uh, updates the time in the database for one month forward. Then and returns it. So now that's in the new time variable. Uh, underscore arrow left remove expired statuses new time. So here we are. Uh, if you remember previous episode where I talk about planetary statuses, that planet can has a good harvest, bad harvest. There might be a, some uh, monster attacking there or things like that. This part goes through all the all the statuses in the database and removes the those that are marked to be removed when the time is what we just passed in or later. And the underscore arrow to the left means that the whatever removed expired statuses returns we are discarding. We could call this without that underscore arrow to the left but then we would be getting a compilation warning. And I like to keep the code so clean that there's no warnings at all. Because while while the code might work in some cases with those warnings, there might be some other cases where it doesn't work. And if you have lots of warnings, you might... Lots of warnings that aren't important to you. And then there's a one important you might miss that if 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 there's a lots of warnings and you have you have all you and you have uh, gotten used to the fact that there's a 500 warnings so one more you don't you don't spot it so I keep the code as clean as possible so then statuses have been removed then it's factions arrow to arrow to the left select list open bracket close bracket open bracket ask Faction ID close bracket. Here, uh, select list is a persistent method. Here we are loading from the faction table. We are loading all the factions that are there and sorting them by the IDs and storing them into the factions variable. And now the factions variable is a list of faction entities. An entity is a uh, data type that has a that has a primary key and the actual data of what you found from the database. So now we have a list of those. And onwards. 
underscore arrow to the left map m open parent handle faction events new and close parents factions again discarding what we are receiving from this function we are not interested to that and then we are map m is a it's a again uh, it's kind of like a map or f map for that we have been talking previously but with a, that capital m in the end is a hint that it's used in the monadic context so now that now that we are doing a database access we cannot use the map we use the map m i'll try to explain them briefly a little bit later in this episode so uh what we are doing is that we are calling that handle faction events and giving that to our, our current time and we are calling that function to each of the factions that we loaded previously so we are doing sort of like a loop here so this this will handle special event res resolution that i talked talk previously so if there's a for example a cracky worm attack in, on a planet and player has chosen what they want to do or hand chosen this part is this part triggers the handling for that onward uh, then there's a map m underscore handle faction food factions this uh, uh, no, handle faction food doesn't return anything sensible it returns a unit so we don't have to disk we we don't have anything anything that we would need to discard so we are not using that underscore arrow to the left but we are using a shorthand map m underscore that does the same thing there's there's just so many of these things that are, it's hard to keep track of track of these sometimes um, so handle faction food here we are again we are calling this function to each and every of the factions in turn so this one will take care of the food production and food consumption i haven't gone through through what actually happens inside of this function in previous episodes maybe i will do that at some point it's a kind of quite simple there currently isn't that much interesting there but if and when there's more interesting stuff happening there i, I will go through that but in any case this will produce food in a planet and then the population on the planet will consume that food and what food is left over or biological resources as they are called in the game are stored in the stores and if 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 your population is consuming more food than they're producing then they are using the food from the stores okay uh then map m underscore open parent handle faction construction new time close parent factions again we are calling the handle faction construction with new time and each of the factions and this will take care of the various construction projects this i haven't controlled previously i will do that i have to do some work work there still before this before i can explain the idea idea and what i'm doing there but basically this will you 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 have construction projects on various places and this is where the, those construction projects are progressing and maybe completing and then these are generated and the usual then underscore arrow to the left map m 
open baron add special events new time close baron factions. So here we are calling add special events new time to with each and every of the factions, and this is the part that adds a new special possible new special events. I'm not sure if I have gone through this part in detail. I might or might I might not have. But this adds uh this is the place where new special events can happen randomly. There's a big list of special events and then you and then they have a, a randomized then they have some percentage of chance occurring and based on and then they have some preconditions and based on that all that information each faction may or may not get a special event added to some place. And the final step is map m underscore open baron handle faction observations new time close baron factions. Handle faction observation I have gone through I believe this is where this is where the you well all kinds of reports are generated for you. If you have a population on a planet, they will write a report and to you that this is what we see. If you have a spaceship somewhere, they will write a report that this is what we see. If you have a probe somewhere, they will write a report that this is what we what we'll see. All that information is stored into the database, and whenever information about something is looked upon, like you want to know what you know for example some planet then all those reports that have been written for that planet are retrieved and they are combined and that's the that's your current knowledge of the place some of that information might be up to date some of that information might be obsolete or some of that information might be downright downright wrong and some of some of that information you might be completely lacking so you don't have a perfect view of the universe around, only the what you actually have seen and observed, and there might be some information that is out of date, because you haven't been, haven't been at the place where the information is. Like if you make an expedition to some faraway place and see that, okay, here's a rocky planet, nothing to see here, come back, then that's the information that you will be shown when you check the status of the that after the planet. There might be a huge civilization there, but you don't know because you haven't seen that. And the final line on the code that process turn function is return new time. So here we are returning the new time, the time, current time of the universe after the processing. And why are we using return here when we are not when we haven't been using it pretty much any, any, anywhere else. And that's the the answer is that the process turn is a monadic function. It it uh, uh, it uh, in this case it deals with in, input and output, specifically at the database. So there's a bit of extra work that you have to do to be allowed to do that. In Haskell functions are uh, they, they use the pure, so they work in a way that when given same set of parameters, they always return the same same 
answer and there's no dependencies to outside systems. So there are, I think another term is referentially transparent. You could replace function with a um, huge lookup table that would have all the combination of the parameters and answers to tools. So there's no, there's, the outside world doesn't affect them or some another part of the system doesn't affect them. They are just, data goes in, data comes out, data, data comes out, and the data that comes out is always the same on the given set of inputs. It doesn't change. But that, of course, doesn't work in a, when you start dealing with the database, for example. So here, here you have a, you have to have a, a bit of extra structure. So uh, if you remember map, that's a, a way of running a function over a list. So you have a map signature of the map is a open parent A, arrow B, close parent arrow, list A, arrow, list B. So when given a function and a list, it will produce you, you a new list. And the elements of that new list are what you got when you run that function to elements of the old list. Fmap is a similar concept. It's a it's type, type signature is an open parent A, arrow B, close parent arrow FA, arrow FB. Again, same concept, but instead of working on a list, it works on a F, and F can be a some structure. It it could be a list. It could be a maybe. It could be a either. So Fmap is Fmap works for functors that I talked about earlier. So Map M is the same same thing, but for the monads. Each type signature is Map M. Is a monad M. That arrow, open parents A, arrow MP, close parents, arrow DA, arrow M, open parents DB, close parents. So if you if you have these in the show notes and you look at them and take a couple steps backwards and squint really hard, then you can see that they are they are very similar. All three take a function then they take something, and then they produce something else. And map works only with the uh, lists. Fmap works with the functions. It can have different kind of structures there. It's a more generalized. And map M, you have a, that monad M hanging around there. So instead of function being from A to B, it's from A to MB, so it, that B value is um, is part of a or in part of a structure M, and that M is the monad. There are many many kinds of monads. It's a it's a really fascinating topic. It's not as difficult as as you might have led to believe. It's a it's a well, when somebody explains that to you in a really well, it's really simple concept. But the problem here is that it's high, fairly abstract, 
And if you are only explain the abstract part, you don't really get why they are important in the in the programming, especially with the Haskell. But better way the way I learned them was that I didn't concentrate on the abstract part, but I concentrated on what you can do with them, what what they actually do for you. And here there there I learned how to do that. I'm I'm going to try to to explain them at a bit later episode. The, but I re- I need to come up with a really good ex- explanation. Uh, but for for now it's enough to understand that uh, that map M is similar to map and F map, but it also gives gives uh, it also deals with the input output in this situation. Monads are not only for the input and output; they they are highly Versatile, you can use them for many things. And they are, they are sort of next step in the chain that started with the function and continued with the applicative that I talk, talked earlier. But for now it's enough to know that in this case they, they are there for dealing with the input and output. Uh, okay, so back to the process turn. So each step is done for all of the factions before moving to the next step. Like first we are well the status removal are done for everything in one go, but uh, for example the special event resolution is done for the in to all factions and then the food production and consumption is to done to the all factions. And so on. Originally, I handled each faction at a time, like did all these things things to one faction and then processed the another faction and then did the next. But then I started thinking that it well, it started feeling that uh, there's a discontinuation in the universe. Like one part of the universe is one month ahead of another part of the universe, and if there's any interactions between those those universums and those parts of the universe in the later point in the simulation it looks funny and so I I had it originally working like that and then I thought that it might be a more sensible to run it in a slices so parts of the universe update so like the whole universe updates in the terms of the special events and then all of the universe updates in that terms of the food production consumption and so on so then it's still done one place at a time but it's not so it's not so big leap in a long go that's the that's the thing with the computer simulation you are usually dealing with a discrete time like you have a steps that you are doing it you could do continuous simulations i think with some fancy mathematics but that would be way beyond of my skills. It would be interesting exercise, but I suspect that that would be way beyond my skills, and that might be a pretty taxing for the computer to do. Okay, so after all this, the time in the universe has moved 
one more month of forward, one decimal month forward, and players can review reports, special events, statuses, and whatnot. They can browse around with the web interface and do whatever they want to do. And like I said, this will run when at pre-configured times when I get that written oh, and, and that requires me to figure out how to do that. that. So even if players have not made their choices, then the, this will run. It just means that they didn't feel or didn't have time to make those choices. The world keeps rolling even when somebody doesn't do anything. And in the end, I want to add a little bit uh, automation to the to the game, so you could have uh, instructions. You could give uh, some governor of the planet instructions that I want you to govern this planet in some specific way. Like I want you to take the planet to this direction or that direction or whatever. And here's here's your resources and just. Go, go wild, and after that, the player wouldn't have to micromanage that planet by themselves. Of course, there might be a situation where some player is actually playing as a governor of a planet, and then the whole point of the game is to take those resources that they have and do, do, do with the planet what they want to do, or what orders they have been given by some somebody else. There might be a, a vassal of a some Star Lord, for example, who who governs, who has a domain of multiple planets and has delegated the, the authority to some 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 governors, and that Star Lord could be a real player or it could be a computer player. But in any in any case, the then the planetary governor would be a player, and they would be play playing and managing that single planet. And maybe they would be very ambi- ambitious players and they would secretly start uh, playing a political political game and maybe military game and try to uh, declare independence and start a, their own, own empire that way. Okay, I think that's enough for, for now. And the best way nowadays is to catch me is either the email or at Fediverse, where I'm tuturto at mastodon.social. Okay. Ad Astra. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.